0: You're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On this week's show, I talked to Ken Friedman, record industry big shot turned restaurateur extraordinaire. Back in the day, Ken dropped out of UC Berkeley, go Bears, to work with the likes of the Smiths and UB40 and U2 and all those big bands of the 80s and 90s. But then at some point, he was like, you know what? I've had enough. I'm getting out. And he decided to open a restaurant. And that restaurant was The Spotted Pig over 10 years ago here in New York City. And the years since, he and Chef April Bloomfield have gone on to open The Breslin and John Dory Oyster Bar and Salvation Taco and White Gold, not to mention Tosca Restaurant in San Francisco, and their soon-to-open venture in Los Angeles. I talked to Ken what his younger years were like, how he became a rock star in the restaurant world with absolutely no experience, and what it's like to have Jay-Z send you a check. But hey, before we get to Ken, remember, we love to hear from you guys. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you want to hear more of. Tell us what you want to hear less of. The feedback really helps, and we totally make decisions based on that for upcoming shows. So bon appetit Foodcast at gmail.com. And if you're feeling nice, go to iTunes and rate us on the iTunes store, and that helps us a lot also. All right, here's Ken Friedman. Ken Friedman, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. Nice to be here. I've known you for a while and through the kind of restaurant world and that sort of stuff. Um, but but one thing I was thinking about, like, I've never actually had the opportunity to ask how you got where you are today. Um, and I've, I've known you as Ken, but I'm like, well, how did well, – I know you used to be in the music business, but what did exactly that mean? And the open-spotted pig and you got all these famous people to give you money. And I'm like, how does that work? And – what can can we can we go back can we go back to your sort of your your beginnings in the the bay area correct yeah i mean i mean well beginnings were la grew up in la like and, in the 1940s and <laughs> thank you for that
1: um i uh, yeah early 1840s yeah yeah i am quite old i admit it um <laughs> Actually, it's funny because I used to be – I was always the youngest person, and now I'm always
0: the oldest Isn't that person. weird how you it's, go from I, being I, like – All like, of a sudden. You're like this young up-and-comer in the music biz, and now all of a sudden you're an like old, old guy, Ken. I'm the oldest old, – you know, I, I'm going to start.
1: I'm going to give you my very first of a long series of name dropping. Yeah, I'm gonna, sure. I'm going to start now. We had Charlie Rose's 75th birthday party the other week at the Spotted Pig. And I just loved it. And the reason why I loved it is what, I was not the oldest person in the room. Ah, uh, yes. I knew at least one person was older than me, Charlie, 75. <laughs> and then, and I, I'm pretty sure other people were there. Henry Kissinger, I'm pretty sure, was older than me. Kissinger, being, Kissinger was there he was there so yeah group in LA and you, you went to UC Berkeley as someone else I know did
0: yeah both went to Cal yeah. uh, and then you were when when were you at Cal um well I'm gonna give away my age then but yeah, I was sure. there
1: uh started in 78 I guess and then dropped out many times but finally dropped out like 80 yeah 80 81 so I, I dropped out three times what does, that, what does that what mean and they just let you come back I was in the art department, so it's all – so what happened in at Berkeley was yeah. pretty much 100% of the art department at Berkeley formed punk rock bands in the late 70s. And the punk rock scene in San Francisco was all art students. Dead Kennedys, right? They were Dead Kennedys were like second wave. LA mm. punk scene didn't start until the Damned and then the Ramones toured. But San mm. Francisco – And New York was
0: art students. This is where where I give my PSA announcement to the listeners. We will get to food eventually. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So so kind of the nascent moment of of, of the punk rock scene as it's coming to America, late 70s. You're into it. I'm playing in punk bands. So I dropped
1: out of college to play in punk bands. What were you playing? I was in three different bands. I played drums in one, keyboards
0: in another, and bass guitar in another one. Did you play any of those instruments well?
1: No, I basically would drop out of Berkeley because I wanted to like be in San Francisco, the big city.
0: You know? See, when I, I so I was at Cal a lot um, after you because I'm a lot younger than you, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was my. I had this feeling like you were at Berkeley's beautiful school, big campus that. Stadium on the hill, but you look across the water and you're like, oh, there's the real city, the city, yeah. And you, there, were, I always had that sort of pull, and this may be why I live in New York now. But I always wanted to go across the bridge and check things out. And very few other kids that I was at school with had any interest in that. They're like, no, no, we're good here. This is this is all right. good. And right. I'm like, and I, I used to remember, I, I subscribed to Gourmet back in those days. Wow, uh, R.I.P. And I would read. The, they would have the California restaurant reviews. And they'd have New York City, and I would read the ones in California. When they did San Francisco, I would, like, tear them out, and I would, like, I'm going to go to that restaurant. And I'd try to get some girl or someone to come with me. Wow. And they always thought I was a little bit weird, but I'm like, no, I read about this in Gourmet. We're going to the Cypress Room. Or, right. you know, you know. And they
1: had the little illustration. Over? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah.
0: It, it was cool. As a, as a college kid, you know, you're basically subsisting on burritos and pizza at that point, but then going into the big city for a moment of sophistication. Right. Uh, so you were playing punk rock, and at what point were you like, you know what, I'm not going back to school?
1: The, the point at which, when I realized my bands that I was in were so bad that no one would book them, no clubs would book them to play, so I just started putting on shows in Barrington Hall. I started, you know, the, the kind of hippie dorm, you know, yep, Barrington yeah, Hall. Yeah, sure. Barrington Hall- was, At Berkeley. Was, was a famous dorm where all, like, you know, kind of hippies stayed there, and a lot of homeless Telegraph Avenue people would live there, like Pink Cloud and the Fuck You Guy and, and the the Bubble Lady. Remember the Bubble Lady on Telegraph? No. Nope, nope. Come on. No, dude. I think she's still there. <laughs> she's still there. You just didn't spend <laughs> enough time wandering Telegraph Avenue late at night like I did. So yeah, I started putting on shows in Barrington Hall just so my own bands could play. And um, it just got to the point where then I was starting to do all the San Francisco bands because they wanted to play in Berkeley. So, so I booked the Avengers and the Dills and the Nuns and Crime and like I said, Negative Trend.
0: And then later... And so you're your early twenties at this point.
1: Yeah, I'm yeah. like twenty. You're a I mean, kid. Yeah, I'm yeah, like twenty one and stuff. And then that led to I went to work for Bill Graham in San Francisco.
0: And so, explain Bill Graham for our younger listeners who might <laughs> not know Bill Graham.
1: I mean, Bill Graham was a, a total legend in the in, in the music business, like a, a legit legend, a, like a for real legend. He had yeah. the Fillmore West, the Fillmore East. You know who he was?
0: Yeah, Fillmore East was in New York, Fillmore West out in San Francisco. And he
1: would and he would he would bring. I mean, the British Invasion. Was basically Bill Graham having the Who and the Kinks and all these bands come to America. I mean, he had these bands come to America because he had a place in New York and a place in San Francisco, so they would build a tour around Bill Graham, saying "Come to America."
0: Was it it Bill Graham Presents? Was that the official name? BGP. Bill
1: Graham Presents. Yeah, and he would do, and then he would do Monsters of Rock, you know, in in Oakland Stadium, and he had Winterland, a big eight thousand capacity. Although he told the bands it was a five thousand capacity (laughs) place. and he would. So I. I, I Is so, that so
0: he could take the extra money and not give it to him? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. He also wouldn't tear tickets, and no one. People are like, well, How come you're taking the whole ticket from me?" Well, if you think about why he would take the whole ticket from you, I don't know why. Because why? that ticket w- was sold two or three or four times. He wouldn't tear uh, the ticket. He'd take your ticket and then they go sell it again. Oh. That wow. was how. That was how they would do it back then. Legend. A legend. Yeah, <laughs> a legend of making money. So how did
0: you how did you get hooked up with
1: him? He found me. I mean, he was a smart guy and yeah. he was just in like there's there's some kid doing these shows with bands with names like The Buzzcocks and The Gang of Four and Suzy mm-hmm. and the Banshees and Iggy Pop and Lena Lovitch. and you know, so he just he himself would come to my gigs. Bill Graham would show up and I was doing like a show with 999 at California Hall or someplace I rented I was were just, you
0: living in Berkeley this time or San Francisco I was now
1: at in San Francisco living over in the in the hate and and renting various halls to do shows the California Hall over on Polk Street um the Geary Temple also called the temple beautiful yeah. I would I would I did a, did a did a gang of four show a Buzzcock show there
0: and it so I mean what's fascinating about this point so I, I grew up in DC in the 80s when the Punk rock scene was very fervent back then. Fugazi, um, Fugazi all that. Shut up, I thing. Right to think. Of spring, all those guys. Yep. And that um, brains. It, it, what, what was interesting about then was how much of a sort of community it was, and how word of mouth it was. There was no internet. There was no email. You literally got on. You, I'm sure, you just had to call someone and put up posters. And posters stuff. up, and like fanzines. Someone called you, to say, "Hey, we want to bring the Buzzcocks over. Can you do a show?" And yeah. yeah. Well what happened was, what Bill Graham did is the same thing that, that smart agents, most of whom
1: were in New York, would do. They'd they'd figure out who was they'd find me. Yeah, they'd know,
0: oh, you you gotta call Kent. He's yeah. he's the guy in right. San Francisco. Right. And you'd get a call, and next thing you know. Yeah. Um, so, so you have a legit business at this point, and you're like, I don't need to graduate college. I'm wait, so you're not a college graduate? No. So you walking around with all this California golden bear paraphernalia, you're wearing a you wore a Cal sweatshirt in here and you yeah. actually didn't even graduate from no. Cal. No. Wow. No. I don't that's but I mean,
1: I, I wear, but I wear, you know, New York Knicks stuff, and I don't play for the Knicks, so I mean, no, you, you don't. Know. Well, you're kind
0: of tall. You're all tall, though. It's a bit um, of a, they bit could, of a they could, they could use you right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so they could use anything. So, right so you got your promotion business going. You're making decent money at this point. Like, yeah, for a
1: 23 year old, I'm making like great money because I'm, I'm, I'm working for the biggest promoter in the world, probably. And yeah. And I'm, I'm his like new wave punk rock. Guy. You're the cool young guy. I'm like, he's like, there's a band called the Clash. I keep hearing about. Well, who are they? I'm like. Clash are fucking legends. Like the
0: Clash wanted to hire me. I'd leave you in a second. (laughs) What was your first introduction to to food at this point? Were you eating at all? Were you just drinking and smoking the whole time? No, I mean, I mean,
1: I, I was fascinated with public assembly in general. So I loved restaurants and bars and, and Chez Panisse is where I kind of really sort of, you know, Chez Panisse was like the Mecca, right? It still is. So I got to go to and. Walk in there, and you could kind of get goosebumps and feel something's going on there. When
0: was the first time you
1: went, and who would you go with? The first time I went was early on. My friend, Tony Myland. Early um, on meaning what? Um, probably in 1978. Oh, that early? Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So who took you, though? You were like a 18-year-old. Two, I was probably 20, but yeah. Two things happened. I dated a girl who worked there. Okay. That was the main thing. That's good. So- you know, and she'd like bring home all this, you know, food from, and it was like something amazing. She, go would, she would bring home like one peach. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> she it was would, a perfect <laughs> peach. Right. Like, this is Chez Panisse, Ken. <laughs> Right, right. I'm thinking of that scene in Godfather when he brought home one peach. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But then also, I had a friend who was, I had a friend, Tony Miland, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but he was like a super sophisticated guy from the Bay Area, from Vallejo near Berkeley. And he sort of told me about how important Chez was and how Alice Waters was the one that sort of told people, stop importing stuff from Italy and France. You know, the the, the best food is, you know, when you're eating goat cheese from that goat right there. So he sort of taught me that like this place is really special. And then I got to know Alice. What was she like back then? She was, you know, flirty, flirty and, and yeah, trying to, trying to hang out with young dudes like me, (laughs) um. It's the 70s. Is California. In fact, one of my great friends, Steve Singer, she married. And, and they
0: have a great daughter, Fanny Singer. And she named Fannie's or little places she yeah. had after Fanny. So you get introduced to new kind of California cuisine and, 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 and that movement. Um, do you remember other restaurants at the time in those sort of early 80s in California or in San Francisco? Were there other ones that you got hip to?
1: Well, so what happened was there was Santa Fe Bar and Grill on, on, on uh, University going up. To, you know, you'd go up to Berkeley from the— the freeway that was great, Fourth Street Grill, you know, down at Fourth Street in Berkeley, mm-hmm. Mark Miller had it. they were all yeah. Shapin East alums um Jeremiah Tower, who had Santa Fe Bar and Grill, also had a place called Stars in San Francisco, and that was a real game changer for me because it was it was Shapenese, but like in the big city, like we were we were saying like across the bay like it had was, it had pizzazz it had pizzazz, and also he made it where you could see every table from every table, so like everybody who walked in could see could see the room and you were there, right?
0: You I went started. there. I went there with one of my uh, roommates' parents from New York came uh one year in like nineteen ninety two or something or ninety one and they and they had their list of places they were gonna go and I was lucky enough they took us, but we went to like stars. so we we're it was sort of the tail end of stars, but you right. still walk in, you're like, oh, I mean, it's kind of like Balthazar in New York where there's that energy yeah like everyone sees each see other. Every, yeah. yeah, and there's that what I love about that is there's, there's that. Good restaurants have a have a. There's a sense of drama where you walk in, you all you just feel it. You're like, oh, yep. I, yeah. I, I'm I'm somewhere like that's cool right now. Right, it's, it's happening.
1: Sarge was the place to be, and and I started going there right because I knew Jeremiah from Shape and East, and then from Santa Fe Bar and Grill, um, on on University in Berkeley. So, yeah, like I I started kind of going there. I was I was super young. You know, at this point, I'm. I, I think I was just starting to, starting to work for Bill Graham, so I, I had a credit card and, that but, worked and stuff.
0: But I mean, it's interesting. Like when, when getting back to when I was at Berkeley and, and going out to dinner at restaurants, a lot of younger people, especially in places like Berkeley, the notion of going to a nice restaurant and paying a lot of money for a meal was kind of like, what? Why you? Why would you want to do that? <laughs> right, like, you know what right. I mean? Like, it's just like why we can just go to this bar and, and hang out instead um was that strange for you for to be a 23 24 year old and
1: no i was sort of used to like again like public assembly i was used to like i mean i was like going out all the time because i was playing in bands putting on shows with bands going to see bands and then i loved going to bars and i always just loved going out yeah. and i would like go sit at a bar by myself instead of staying in my in my little apartment in berkeley so then so i was kind of used to that from early on and going to – like you said, like the kind of – the drama, like walking into Chez Panisse, I could have I sort of got goosebumps. I could tell something was going on here. And same with stars. You could have kind of walked in – and Balthazar is a, a very good um, analogy because it's the same kind of thing. You can see every seat from every seat. The, the lighting's perfect. Everything's yeah. perfect.
0: And but, it, star- but that's also akin to, to bands. Like when you see a band like The Clash back in 1979, you just – you're like, wow. Like hair stands up on your arms. You're like, you know that there's something going on here. Right. you know, and you can just sense that. I yeah,
1: imagine,
0: which, oh, was, which was your job back then, kind of.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was always kind of a talent scout, you know, mm-hmm. try, trying to figure out who was cool. And I mean, when the Clash played for us for Bill Graham at the Berkeley Community Theater the first time, you know, it was—I thought it was the wrong venue because it had seats, but Bill was going to put him in a club, and I said, "No, this is this is like this is the Clash. They're yeah. the kings of. They're they're going to sell out." A big huge place I wanted to put him in a bigger place but Bill didn't didn't had never really even really heard of him so put him in the Berkeley Community Theater and it sold out in two seconds 3,500 seats and we added a show and and yeah it was this, It was a goosebump show it was like wow these guys are they're not they're not the, the kind of what I thought I thought punk rock bands in England like didn't want to be famous mm-hmm. that you know didn't oh, be, God, yeah. and the Clash like wanted they to be did. famous they looked good they had like Their, choreography the and they hair perfect yeah. yeah perfect and the leather jackets with the yeah. collars turned up and stuff yeah
0: so you had this magical time in San Francisco, both with the music scene and the, the birth of, like I said, that sort of kind of new California cooking from, from Alice Waters to Jeremiah Tower to Mark Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point did you – did New York come calling? What, when did you leave the Bay Area? Well – well, I mean, New York came calling. All I mean, I used to get the Village Voice
1: like delivered when I was when mm-hmm. I was living in San Francisco and stuff. I always, I always kind of wanted to. You know, I was obsessed with New York, and and I used to come to New York every year to to a thing called the New Music Seminar. That was a, it was a, it was just a kind of a punk rock new wave thing, and I'd come every year and loved it, and um, stay up all night and go to after hours clubs, and you know it was great. But um, I. I left the Bay Area to go to L.A. because I was working for Bill Graham and I was just bored because I basically – when you work for a a kind of a big company, any big company, in a way, it's sort of – it's hard to be creative because you're just part of a – you're, you know, a a cog. So I wanted to actually work with – you know, I was a frustrated artist. Like like that defines everything I've ever done. Like I really wanted to be an artist, but I just wasn't – I was an art major, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do, sculpture or painting or printmaking or whatever. Then I was a musician. I wasn't any good. <clears throat> so I started putting on shows, but I kept wanting to get closer to the artist. So I left Bill Graham and moved to LA to manage bands, LA where I'm from. And I found that really the bands I wanted to manage weren't in LA. They were in the UK. All my favorite bands were in, were in the UK. This is now 1985. And <clears throat> so I, w- I became the American manager for Simple Minds and UB40 and a band called Shriek
0: Back. And that um, means that when they would come to the States, you'd sort of- I would like, yeah. Them? I would like
1: get them a record deal in America yeah. and do their tours in America. But but then again, I realized like, I, I, want, I want to be like the fifth member of the band. Yeah. I want to be, you know, with them, like like helping get involved in, I thought that I'd get involved in helping to make the records and book the tours and think of the, 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 the graphics and all that stuff. So I moved to London. I was, so I was, I was 25 I guess at this point, moved to London and um, became the manager, the, the worldwide manager for UB40. And I became the manager of the Smiths who I met. Who Heard I just, of them? Yeah. So I was, so I, I got to manage the Smiths, a band I thought was going to be the biggest band in the world. You know, they had this formula that that the Rolling Stones have and Aerosmith have and every kind of rock band has. What is that formula? The kind of androgynous, poetic, you know, singer kind of, and the, and the kind of, drug taking, cigar smoking, I mean cigarette smoking, um model shagging guitar player, you know, they had that same formula when you think about it. They were they were they were Jagger Richards. Yeah. You know, they were REM had that formula. Like all the bands that 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 were important in the in their generation, you know, had that. And they had Morrissey, who wrote the best lyrics of anybody you know, of his generation and maybe any generation. And Johnny, who was an acute student of rock and roll, could play every song, every riff, knew everything that Keith Richards and Joe Perry and Pete Townsend and Eric Clapton ever wrote. So, and and they got more press
0: in the UK, at least, than any band ever, you know, in, a, in such a short period of time. But I always thought like growing up in the 80s, like, there was something so British about the Smiths that didn't quite translate to mainstream America. There the, was something in, a little hard to grasp about them. Same thing
1: the Kinks. Yeah. Why the Kinks never really made it big yeah. here. Why the Who never really made it big till way late in their career. And you think about it, because mm-hmm. they were so British. Same thing. But I always thought like that the Smiths were like the, yeah like like the Who like the Stones. They yeah. had that same formula, yeah. and um, they would be massive. I mean, they were when they finally came and toured America. It was a major tour. The problem is only a few dates, and they canceled lots of them, and it was, yeah. it, was all, it was all chaos.
0: What but, um was there. I went and visited my brother in London in the late eighties or so. he was at uh, drama school there um There was not a lot of good food back in London in the late eighties early nineties there was there
1: wasn't good, good there wasn't good food in london until very recently i th- i think I think that like what's happening in l a now is what happened in 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 England in london specifically you know ten fifteen years ago yeah a bunch of really talented mostly young cooks and chefs with a chip on their shoulder, which is a really good thing. They wanted to prove something to the world that, you know, that that we actually grow great food here and we can make great food here and it's not just mushy, gray vegetables where you dump out the bright green water, you know, and and, and fish and chips and stuff. So there wasn't great food at all there, but I just loved like- I, I loved being in England. I just loved the I loved the weather. I grew up in Southern California. You know it's 72 degrees every day. So I loved everything about it. M- mainly what I loved was going to a pub where people were have been drinking in that pub for like hundreds of years in that same room. I just thought that was fascinating.
0: And there's that smell. Like it was kind of like that musty – that musty aged beer, cigarette It's just like it's baked in there and you're like, "Oh, I feel I feel at home here." Right, right. right. So it went So all right, so in you know this you get At what point then you come back to the States? At what point did you even start thinking about, oh, I might want to open a restaurant one day? Um, I always
1: kind of thought about it. I always thought it would be fun to do that because I I spent my whole life in clubs. So I always thought about like, you know, I want to put on my own shows again and I want to put on my – I want to throw parties. And then eventually that led to like I should do my own club or maybe restaurant and so I always kind of made mental notes. I always thought, well, if I did a restaurant, I would do this differently. I would always yeah. kind of do that. And, and because I went out every night, I, I had a lot of mental notes. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope you remember them. But it, it wasn't really until I moved to New York and I started actually going to the Hamptons. I discovered the Hamptons and, and would rent a house with friends every year in the Hamptons starting in 1990 when I moved here. And I just realized, wow, I'm really good at throwing parties and barbecues and stuff. Like I'm good at this. And that's when I started thinking, this would be fun. And then my friends would start to say, "Yeah, you're great at this. You really love, you're, you have a passion for this. You're not so good at the music thing, but you're good at the, <laughs> the, the throwing a party thing. That's when I started to think, well, maybe I should do this. It'd be fun. And as as years went by, I, I was like, I realized, you know, restaurants are clubs for adults. You know, hmm. you, 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 instead of taking drugs, maybe you eat. yeah. Drink wine, yeah.
0: So, 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 I mean, so you know, you start to after a while, you're getting a little burnt out on the music business, long nights, all that sort of stuff. Um, and in the early two thousands, you, I guess, you start thinking for real, like, wait a minute, maybe I should get out of this business and get into a new one. What, what, what was that? What was that moment? The, the minute I turned forty, I had kind of a classic
1: midlife crisis. I had one of those. What am I doing with my life? Do I really care what young kids are gonna be buying next year? What music they like I don't I sort of didn't
0: love music at that point anymore. I was kind of burnt on it. Like I kind of But that's like also that was music was lame then. Late nineties. Right. Like you bet the like you had that that kind of those later years of grunge like Alice in Chains and Creed and this is like All the bands yeah. with numbers in their names, yeah. all those dumb bands. The bad, yeah, Seven the fake Mary punk bands. Three yeah. and Three Doors and Blink Down one <laughs> Something,
1: yeah, all yeah. those number bands, yeah, they were terrible. That's what, so then, what I did was, I thought, well, so I got really into electronic music because I thought, well, that's like, uh,
0: but also that's such a that's, that at that point certainly it was such a still a British thing. Like America was totally not really into the right. EDM sort of shit,
1: you know? Right. So what I did was I left Eros Records to go open London Records, e- U.S. label, right? Friends of mine from when I lived in England. Mm-hmm. So they were basically a pop and electronic label. So I was trying to find what I liked. I didn't like. Rock anymore, and I was just—I was standing. I was—I was, I was tr- about turned forty, and I was standing in a club, holding a beer, watching some guy in the late nineties sing about his personal problems, kind of you know with a flannel shirt on, and I just thought, <laughs> I, gazing at his shoes, and I just thought, I don't care I about this guy care. at all. I don't care. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about this guy. So, so yeah. So I just and, then the, and so I turned forty, had a midlife crisis, was was kind of thinking, do I want to be that guy that looks back on his life and. Says, God, I wish I'd tried this other thing that I think I might have been good at, and something else happened, which is Napster. When mm. Napster happened, and I remember hearing about, wow, you can like email a song to somebody. What a great idea! That's awesome. And then the record industry, of which I was part of, responded by suing college students personally for like, for <laughs> for, for, for for swapping songs without paying for them. And I remember thinking, like, guys. W- we, we should embrace this. This is we shouldn't be suing people. This is like everyone's going to do this, whether you say it's okay or not. I'm yeah. going to email songs to people. Cats out of the bag. Yeah. So yeah. I remember just thinking, this is a bunch of idiots run in this industry, and of course I was right. I mean, the only the only company that really made money in the music industry was Apple because they yeah. were smart enough to monetize that. So I remember just thinking, like, I got to, I should go do this thing. Like all these people over the years have said, I'll invest if you open a restaurant. So I thought, well. I'm going to go to them because they're going to stop offering if I don't, if I don't go to them. So I, I did. I went to like the, the eight people that had said, give me a call when you're ready. Who were those people? I, I, I went to the most famous people's representatives. I, I, didn't know, I didn't know Jay-Z, but I knew his lawyer and manager really well. So I went to them and they said, you know, we'll get Jay. So the first time I met Jay, he handed me a check. For fifty thousand dollars but why
0: why would he hand you Ken Friedman a check because
1: I, I I pitched him on what I was wanted to do and he said you're right you're right there are no bars with great food in New York and you're right it is fun to go hang out in a bar and be able to g- eat food as great as any restaurant that in you town. don't
0: have to go to the club with the velvet rope and all that nonsense you can actually go to a cool bar you went to your friends in you too yes yeah Bono, Bono's one of the investors Indeed. edge maybe I don't know the band the edge do we call him the edge do we call him Edge? what do we call him I th- think people now just call him E. E. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. And people call cool. the singer
1: B. Oh, that's weird. It's that's weird. Book.
0: Yeah. All right. So you, so you, you, you hit on your famous friend. I went to Michael Stipe, who's a friend. Stibb, I went yeah. to, you know,
1: who's been a friend for years. I went, people who had said to me over the years, wow, you, you're great at this. You should do this. I'll give you a 50
0: to, grand or 100 grand. I, just went to, I went. To,
1: I didn't know anything. I, I, I thought I had to raise four hundred thousand dollars, so I got went to eight people and got fifty grand each. What did you actually
0: piece. have to raise to open the Spotted Pig, which is a townhouse sort of setting in the West Village, nice neighborhood? It wasn't a townhouse then; it was just one floor. Then, oh, okay, yeah. We we then had to go to Jay,
1: and I went to Jay first to say this building's about to get sold. I have seventy two hours to find a buyer. Um, since you gave me the first or the, he gave me the second 50 grand, actually, the U2 camp gave me the first 50 grand, um, <clears throat> I went to Jay, and Jay bought the whole building for us kind of to, so we wouldn't get evicted and then loaned us a million dollars to build the first – I mean the second and third
0: floors. And, this, and the second floor is basically another dining room and bar, and the third floor is still is today a private dining room party space that yeah. people can rent out. Yeah. and. When folks like Jay are around, they can go up there and hang out in. Don't have they, to rent it. Yes, yeah. if someone's not renting already. Um, so you end up spending and borrowing a lot more money than you expected. Yeah, which is, I guess, par for the course for the restaurant yeah. industry. I also see. You know, I, I wasn't married. I'm still mm. not. I didn't have kids. I you
1: are engaged, though, young man. I am engaged. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I know. She said yes for yeah. no, no apparent reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I, I, I didn't have a mortgage or kids, so I could. So I quit my job in the music business thinking I'll open a restaurant whenever. I had enough money kind of saved where I wasn't, if it didn't work, I, I wouldn't be like homeless. I yeah, but, you, but you
0: were in deeper than what you thought you were going to be
1: in, right? Well, no, th- then then I ended up spending because it didn't cost $400,000. Yeah. It cost like $600,000. So I spent everything I had, every cent I had, and I had to borrow a little bit of money even to to, to open the Spotted Pig. But so at that point, like I, I was like, damn, I, this
0: better work out or I'm screwed. Okay, let me ask you this, Ken. Um, I'm not entirely sure how to phrase this you are not you don't you're not exactly the most fastidious anal retentive guy in the world. So no. what made you think that you could run a restaurant, which is like it's all all the business and the numbers and the and the staff and like the permits and all that nonsense. What what I, convinced you that you could do that and make a profit from running this thing? I,
1: I believe then what I believe now cuz I'm I don't know any that much more honestly than I did then about like Running a restaurant and finances and labor costs and food costs, I believe then, as I do now, that butts and seats solves everything. That if I could get customers to come and give us their money in exchange for a great experience, it would all kind of work yeah, out. Figure it out, and that's really the case. And my my best restaurant friend in New York then and, and now, Mario Batali, said to me, "Yeah, pretty much. That's that is. You're right. That pretty much is it. I, between you and me." and now the listening audience he's like i'm the same i just make great food and i make sure the experience is great and other people take care of it
0: yeah but he also has a partner who's a money guy joe right. bassianish is like fastidious money guy did you take on a partner or did you just hire various managers and such i just hired a bookkeeper to mm-hmm. i hired
1: a be, uh, i hired a bean counter and i yeah. just said i'm going to make sure there's enough beans for you to count
0: okay all right That's so all right did. so you you've got a townhouse you've got your famous investor friends signed on you're building this thing out, and then you're like, oh shit, I need a chef.
1: Yeah. So, what happened was, you know, I, I, I always thought, you know, punk rock, back to punk rock, like do things differently, like question authority, don't just do what everyone tells you to do. So, my friend Mario was like, yeah, yeah, meet this guy. He used to work for me, and meet this guy. He used to work for Danielle, and this guy's about to leave Jean George. And I'm meeting all these guys, first of all, and they all used to work for somebody, and they're all New Yorkers. And I was like, I want something different, something sexy. like – like I kind of want to do. I don't necessarily want to call it a gastropub, but I want to do what's happening in England now, like a like a pub with a real chef in the kitchen. So I want like somebody English or. You opened
0: in two thousand four, right? Two thousand four. Yeah. So, t- right, so so we're leading up to that. Yeah. The it, gastropub it, thing is happening in London. Yeah, and um, I just didn't want. All the all
1: the cooks I was meeting weren't right. I wanted something different. So, Jamie Oliver was a friend of mine that I met at a at a wedding of a of of, of Norman Cook, Fat Boy Slim, a great friend of mine who also invested was was one of the eight people that put fifty thousand in. And I met Jamie years before at his wedding. And Jamie was a friend at this point. He was coming to town. I thought, I said, Mario, do you know Jamie Oliver? He said, yeah, I know Jamie. You know he just he, we're gonna hang out together. Let's let's all have dinner with him. Let's I said let's see if he'll be my chef. So of course Jamie's like fuck you no <laughs> I have a whole I'm a I'm Mr Big over there in England but where did you have dinner with them at Baba okay yeah <laughs> Baba okay. which was you know had just hadn't had opened pretty recently yeah. um, and um, he said you know there's two people that you should consider there, there's two people that that one I work with and the other one I almost work with April and he kind of didn't overlap actually at River Cafe. But he said, you should meet this guy, Pete, who's kind of obsessed with America and wants to come to America. And this woman, April Bloomfield, who is a commie chef at River Cafe. She's kind of a rising star. And um, she's sort of obsessed with Alice Waters and Chez Panisse and wants to go spend time maybe a year or six months or something at Chez Panisse. Maybe you can hijack her for six months to stop in New York and work for you. you know, Or maybe you'll convince her to stay. So I started emailing with both of them and I just, April and I just sort of, I liked her right away, you know, and, um, and Pete didn't actually want the job. He wanted to stay working for Jamie and April was indeed going to leave River Cafe at some point to go and just, she'd never left England. You know, she'd never been, I think she'd been to, she'd been to Canada or something on a family holiday, maybe Disney World or one of the, but she hadn't really been to America. So she, um, so I said, Mario, what do we do? He said, well, we should meet her. I said yeah. to do a tasting. He said, "No, I don't need to do a tasting with her." I said, "Really?" <laughs> and I found out later that Mario was just going to base his decision on how many burns she had on her arm, which mm-hmm. she had lots of burns on her arm, which showed him that she was a badass that she would reach into hot ovens and stuff. So, but I, but but we spent some time together, and um, she wanted the job, and I liked the fact because I've been saying, "I want," I, I've been saying to Mario, "I want a woman or an English person." You know, and, this and is so she was an English woman. So, so did
0: you, at some point, she must have cooked for you, right? Did you just talk food, or did she actually did you actually eat her food? We ate her food after she was hired. Yeah, we, really? Yep, yep. I
1: did mean, you? She, she. What happened was, I mean, we did a we basically we basically talked food, and I we just kind of got along, and 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 look, she she worked at the River Cafe at Bendham at Kensington Place at the Cow, all my favorite places, literally my favorite places where I lived
0: in London. Yeah. She she worked at so, and Mario said. Go for it. So you you knew that you were on the same page food wise with her. Um, Interesting about April, like in this. Speaking of Mario, in this day and age of celebrity chefs, um, April is. I mean, she's much more kind of salt of the earth, real person. She is not Jamie Oliver. She's not some outsized TV personality. What was your impression on that? And did you think, oh, I need I need a big name celebrity chef.
1: No, I mean, I, I liked that she was, yeah, she was just kind of like a m- meat and potatoes kind of like, yeah, salt to the earth, hardworking girl from Birmingham. Now, I have a connection to Birmingham. UB40, who I'd managed, yeah. were from Birmingham. So I knew Birmingham really well. And I knew that sense of humor. And I knew, Birmingham's like Pittsburgh, Baltimore. Yeah. It's like salt of the earth, working class, like really, real God-fearing people. So I kind of liked that. She was obsessed with Chez Panisse, so was Am
0: I. She yeah. was, we just kind of... Had the same I'm a big believer in like you know if you jibe with someone, and you know if you vibe with them, and if you do, you're like, We can make we can make this work. Yeah. So Spotted Pig opens, it is sort of an immediate success. Yeah. I mean, buzzy is hard to get into and it's yeah. packed, it's fun, it's loud, it's lively. Um, was it clear at that point that April was gonna stick around that she was fully signed on, or were you like, Oh, maybe she'll go back to England next year? Who knows? I mean, she was going to maybe go back to England, so
1: I said, you know, um, to myself um, and to Mario, I think, like I should make her a partner, just to kind of like. And he's like, "Yeah, you should. I mean, chefs should be partners anyway. Like, you know, this this day and age of like the the Drew Niporans being, mm-hmm. you, know, or, you know, the the those kind of guys, the the, the being the head guy and the chef being a hired hand were were kind of over, so." I made a deal with April where I said well, I'm going to give you a percent a pretty small percentage and every year you stay you'll get another percentage you know and if you leave you lose you lose everything so that's a way to like entice her to stay. So I did that and then um after 5 years I realized you know I shouldn't own a huge much bigger percentage than her even though mm-hmm. I raised the money and all that stuff like she should we should be equal partners she's she's taught me way more than some employee whatever have taught me. You know, we are very much, when you think about Jagger Richards or whatever, it's like they love each other, but they don't really like each other. Yeah. <laughs> In a way, April and I go through that. Like, we're really different. And what I wanted was a kind of loud, messy, drunken bar with great food. She wanted a bar with great food. She didn't really love the whole drought, drunk, loud, messy part. She wanted white tablecloths. She wanted the music turned down a little bit. You know, she, Chefs want their masterpiece to come yep. out and not have mm-hmm. too many things distracting you from it. She got it. and she—I mean So basically, we, we, we had to compromise all the time. Which she is got great it where, me. though?
0: But she didn't get it at Spotted Pig. She didn't get it at the Breslin. She didn't get it at the John Dory. Does she still want her nice restaurant? Well, no, she, not that she wants a fine dining restaurant. But you said white tablecloth. We
1: have white tablecloths. We also have brown butcher paper on top of the white tablecloth. Uh, that well, was the compromise.
0: Yeah. No, I, that was I that mean, was the compromise. But there's a big, there's symbolically, there's a big difference if it's just a white tablecloth. That says something different. I think that she's
1: learned from working with me that what we are good at is not white tablecloth restaurant. Yeah. I mean,
0: you mentioned, you know, with Jagger Richards or or you know whoever. It's There is that creative tension, which at times is difficult and at times exhausting, but it's also what creates something unique and and memorable. Yeah. Um, And and like I said, so you guys took that formula. You opened the Breslin and John Dory at the Ace Hotel. Um, You then went out west and reopened Tosca, uh, legendary – Legendary. Old school Italian place in – and uh, which we'll call it? What no, it North Beach, North Beach, right in Columbus. Uh, I was actually listening to the Bill Simmons podcast the other day, and he was interviewing um, KD Kevin Durant at Tosca. And at the end of the interview, they were talking about how it's one a.m. and 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 KD drops at it, you know, we come here on Tosca Tuesdays after the games. Uh, and I guess they were in the back room or wherever yep. doing the interview after after yeah. the Warriors won again. Yeah, um, and then and then that's been a big success, right? And, yeah, and, and yeah. sort of preserving what that restaurant, the bones of that restaurant, while sort of letting April sort of refresh the menu.
1: Well, yeah, and 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 I mean April nailed it there, and Josh, who was our head chef there, who who worked with us at the Pig and the John Dory and the Breslin. What happened there was you know real with, with regard to the food, San Francisco is such a foodie town that they don't have Italian restaurants really. They have Roman restaurants and Venetian restaurants and Amalfi coast restaurants, right? (laughs) I mean, they have kind of, and, 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 you know, you know, in North Beach they have all those, like all the spicy seafood restaurants on on Green Street and all that stuff. But Tosca, we were, April was allowed to do kind of the greatest hits of Italian because of the seven murals depicting seven different areas in Italy. So that was, you know, there's Northern Italian and Southern Italian and coastal Italian all in the same restaurant. That's part of, the beauty of it. The people love that they can go to
0: Tosca and get all kinds of different yeah. stuff. And Italian wise, it takes her back to her days at River Cafe exactly. in London, which is a exactly. wonderful Italian restaurant. Yeah. Great. Um, and then coming up soon, you guys also took over and what space that I love, the cat and the fiddle in Hollywood and Sunset yep. Boulevard. And when, when's that opening? Probably June first, you know. I mean instead
1: of saying, you know, end of April like I'm supposed to, it's about June June first is when it'll be really open for real. And menu wise you know? there, what's the plan? It's up to April. It's going to be all wood-fired stuff. She's got—we're building a huge hearth. It's going to be kind of the way that she, you know, a little bit older now, and I, a little bit older now, want to eat like, yeah. which happens to be the way people in L.A. kind of want to eat—a little bit less heavy, meaty stuff, and a lot of wood-grilled vegetables and fish
0: and Yeah, local delicious, lamb and simple, stuff. which then gets back to Chez Panisse. Yeah, super. and also you also are helping out Travis from Juliana and Justa. Speaking yep. of wood-fired and simple yep. vegetables, open. Here um, in New f- York, Forty Five Bond Street. Yeah, yeah, Does that have a name? Uh, I think Jelena. I mean, maybe. I, last
1: I, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure. I think Jelena. I think he's going to call it Jelena. But I mean, it's up to Travis. But I, I'm pretty sure Jelena. I mean, and that's
0: going to be this summer, right? That'll Ish? be. Yeah, that'll probably be August, August, you know, July. I'm um, supposed to say May, but it's probably August. Yeah. Uh, anything else I need to know about in terms of what you guys got on tap?
1: Um, we have this, this, this partnership with uh, Ira Drucker and Richard Bourne who have, like, all these great hotels in New York. And they own the Pod brand. Oh, yeah. And we're doing a, a, another Pod, another Salvation in Brooklyn. So Salvation, Sa- Salvation Burger? Taco. taco another okay. Salvation Taco we're doing in um, Williamsburg on okay, Driggs. A big, huge one. It's like 600 rooms. Wow. So we're doing lots of Ginormous. Space. Yeah. That's something that we – we're trying to, like, figure out how to roll things out, do things, mul- you know, do yep. multiple things. So we're doing another Salvation Taco. We've never done anything twice. So we'll see how that works. White Gold Butchers is is a big success now. So we're thinking of maybe doing more of those because that's working really well. We decided to open a restaurant outside of New York. So we opened
0: on the Upper West Side. <laughs> <So, laughs> that's so, funny. Yeah, so <laughs> – <So>, um, <so. laughs> All right. Well, well mazel tov and all that. You're doing well. Uh, but before we go, uh, we got to do the lightning round. Lightning round, okay. Either, either or questions. Okay. All right. Let's just start off going old school. East Bay or San Francisco? East Bay. All right. Carnitas or carne asada? Carnitas. Nice. Jason Kidd or Kevin Johnson? I mean, both Berkeley, yeah. so... I mean, I love Jay Kidd. All right. Yeah, I mean, he's a better player. I mean, I'm so young that I was at school when he was there. When when really, I br- I broke the story in the Daily Californian that he was said no to UNC and Kansas and committed to Cal. Cal wasn't even on his list, and he was like the most recruited player in the country that year. But he was,
1: but he was just down. He was a skyline high school, wasn't he in Oakland? Or
0: yeah, what? but then and I I noticed when I would sometimes watch the team practicing in the summertime, just playing pickup games, and I was like, who's that? That dude who's, like, super fast and throwing the ball behind his back. And, like, where did that kid come from? Like, oh, man, it's Jason Kidd. You should know about him. Wow. And we called him on the phone. And, yeah, anyways, that's, that's a whole other story. Love Jason Kidd. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I like the Milwaukee Bucks now because he's the coach. Yeah. The um, Nudie or Polenta? Nudie. Nudie. April makes amazing both versions. Yeah, at, she does. But pick. Nudie's less carbs. <laughs> all right. Nudie's you, just cheese. You, okay. A little bit of carbs. One way of looking at it. Yeah. Let me see. War or
1: Joshua Tree? Joshua Tree, one of the great albums of all time. They're both great,
0: but Joshua Tree's one of the classic albums of all time. Marshawn Lynch or Aaron Rodgers? Both cow guys again. Yeah. Well, that's that. Yeah. They yeah, yeah that's you, the, you picked up
1: on that. I mean, you know. Marshawn Lynch is retired at age twenty eight, so I
0: guess I mean if I'm if I if I'm putting together a football team, I want Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Please don't buy a football team, right? Actually, maybe you should. That would be fun. Might be. Um Indica or sativa? Well, I mean, late at night, Indica.
1: Like right now, after this interview's over, sativa. I like that you're a man with the
0: plan. J or B. Well, I mean I'm I'm a heterosexual male. <laughs> All right, final question: butter or olive oil? Olive oil, because
1: I'm a heterosexual male with a big belly, <laughs> so and I, and I'm old. I need to look
0: after my heart, so olive oil. All right, Ken Freeman, ladies and gentlemen, thanks a lot, Ken. Thanks.
1: The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Emma Wartzman and Carrie Polis, and edited by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Gradies, with additional music by Nathaniel Wortsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.